0: Welcome to another episode of Walking with Wealth Managers. I'm Eleanor Mahmood and today I'm with Julianne Ashcroft, Head of Investments at Standard Life Wealth. Hello, Julianne. Hello, Eleanor. <laughs> we are. It's a lovely sunny day this afternoon and we've come to Sean Park in Kent um, and we're following a route which we believe is gonna take us on a 3K walk although we're trying to, uh, we're hoping it is, yeah. Um, Maybe you could tell us a bit more, Julianne, about why you picked this location today, where we are and and why you chose this place.
1: Yes, of course. Um, Sean Park is actually close to where I live, so thank you very much, it's very handy (laughs) for me. Um, But I wanted to pick it because um, it's got quite an interesting history. It was originally um, the site of Henry de Cobham's estate in the 1300s, um, but more sort of later than that, it became a clay quarry, and as you can see now, it's been transformed into a, a beautiful area of preservation. Yeah. It's, it's actually a, a site of special scientific interest um, with a lot of unusual spe- species of um, butterfly, uh, other insects, and wild and flowers as well. So it's quite a, quite a transformation of a, what was once very industrial and extractive. Yeah, yeah. Place, um, but the history goes back even further because um, there's also it's an area of um, archaeological um, importance, and a number of artifacts from the flint sort of Stone Age, um, 12,000 years ago, have been found in this area as well. Oh, really? So it's been it's been in use for a long time. Um, this site.
0: So it's quite a historical yeah. place, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and
1: it's now just this beautiful woodland with um, these lovely trails. Um, and sort of interesting areas there's there's a few um, sort of prehistoric sort of elements to it um, which we can point out along the way if we see them perfect fabulous maybe we
0: can start with how did you get to where you are today
1: i grew up in lancashire and um, i went to university in sheffield and studied pharmacology and chemistry Um, and then i came to london to do a postgrad in drug research and pharmacology and toxicology really uh, looking for an enzyme in the skin wow. <laughs> and um, thankfully I found it Did you? <laughs> <laughs> but, but realised that actually I didn't want to go further down that scientific route because you, you were sort of going into a narrow and narrow field and I really enjoyed um, a sort of a more varied broader um, sort of working subject and um, so I worked for, when I was writing my thesis, I worked for a technology company um, basically I learnt programming um, to, uh, well it's programming of financial software wow. and um, in doing that I did a, a big project with Mellon Bank and ended up working directly for Mellon um, who were then Merged well. Who then merged with Bank of New York? Yeah. And and while I was there, I applied for a job in Newton in the private client department, and um, and went from there. So we were we were then bought in two thousand thirteen um, by Standard Life Wealth and or Standard Life um, Investments, and and now we've just merged with, with Aberdeen yeah. Asset Management. So we're now Aberdeen um, Standard Investments. And in terms of my role, I started off as a private client um, fund manager or trainee manager, um, did the usual set of exams, the CFA, yeah. and um, was signed off. Um, and pretty soon after, I started working with uh, a woman called Caroline Tai, who headed up the, sort of the, the investments part of um, the wealth department and worked with her on the main investment funds. And um, and I have I've been there ever since, really, working in that same team. Caroline's moved on to better things, um, <laughs> and I've been working with John Hare, who's my manager for over ten years now. Working with him, and the team's sort of grown from there. We've you know we've sort of managed more and more assets, and we've launched more funds. And um, and twelve months ago, just over twelve months ago, I um, I was uh, promoted to head of investment. So. It's rather a grand title, but it's actually head of um, the conventional investments. Um, so one of two heads of investments at Standard Life okay. Wealth, uh, and I um, head the team who run the let's say run the conventional investment piece.
0: And are you still involved with um, any private client work? Or solely sort of the investment research side. We
1: strongly believe it's good to keep your feet on the ground, and nothing does that better than meeting clients Mm. and um, you know, you know, hearing their concerns, hearing their requirements. um, It really does focus focus the mind, the investment mind. You know, when you're making an investment decision, and you know you need to explain it to Mrs. So and So, or (laughs) you, it, it adds an additional layer of um of scrutiny really so i have a few clients I don't have many because they do take a lot of time yeah um but i also see a lot of other clients with other managers as well okay
0: i think there can sometimes be a bit of a disconnect can't there if you're purely involved with just 100 percent investment research yeah almost a disconnect between who that research is for and that there is an end client and that that money is someone's retirement pot yes. or someone's yeah fund for their kids going to university or whatever it might be so I think, I think like you say, it does help you keep your feet on the ground. It does and it? it
1: also helps us to you know consistently challenge what we're doing and making sure it is what clients want because ultimately we're here to provide a service and that service is really directed by what the clients need Yeah. and so by meeting them you really get a better feel um, for what that actually is.
0: How did you find that move from having such a kind of science based um, your yeah. studies and, and that yeah. kind of thing being, like you say, in such a kind of specific area and then making that move to essentially a completely different industry and all the exams and stuff. Yeah, I guess I, I
1: had a transition period really in that um, I worked in the tech industry for a while and, um, and, and learnt new skills to do that. So I wasn't afraid of learning new skills. I, I, we, we do a strengths um, course when we at, at Standard Life Wealth, mm. and it comes up with your sort of your top strengths and your weaknesses. And um, my number one, <laughs> the, the number one character um, that, that characteristic that I display is learning. Okay. So I have this sort of deep-seated desire to learn. Yeah, like oh, perfect. And um, so I like learning new things, new ways of doing things, new tasks. And so learning programming when I was in the tech industry. Um, it was just, a, you know, a transition really to move into another field. And um, I was always interested in finance. And um, sorry, I'm just looking mm. <laughs> like We're okay. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, so I was always interested in finance and was keen to sort of work within the investment industry. But I didn't really know a lot about it until mm. um, I worked on uh, the project, the programming project. And um, really, it's it's. The same sort of characteristics of what I did when I was doing postgrad, learning to develop um, techniques, um, methods to discover things, um, problem-solving. These are all useful talents um, or, or useful um, characteristics to bring to this world as well. So a lot of what I do day to day is research. It's looking into companies, what they do, um, what you know that the, the um, Characteristics of an investment case, um, pulling it all together, but also, you know, looking at watching what's going on in the world around us, mm. whether it's long-term thematic trends or the macro environment, and bringing all that to the table and the consideration as well when we're thinking about an investment. Ah. I'm laughing because we've arrived Cardiac at Cardiac Hill, hill which <laughs> is named for the reason that it's quite steep, quite a steep so, hill. Which way do we go through colleges if we start? Just breathing heavily from that Breathing at this point. <laughs> what a nice spot. So now we've got to the top. <laughs> top of
0: Cardiac Hill. Yeah. I love that it's called that. It's is
1: gorgeous, is it?
0: Yeah. It's really nice. The bluebell's out. You mentioned earlier some ethical mandates that you do for clients. Yes. Um, do you want to maybe just tell me a bit more about your kind of interest in that sort of things? And then what you think, what are some of the main blocks to this way?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, we're okay. Do we're, we just continue? No, we can pick up the red route. Yeah.
0: Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> lost again. So, oh, Don't worry. It's quite nice actually, isn't it? <laughs> Having a little wonder. Um, <laughs> um yeah, do you, maybe to, if you want to yeah. tell me a bit more about your interest in the, the impact investing or however, whatever kind of phrase you want to uh, yeah. use it for, and then also maybe what, what are some of the blocks to making that type of investing more mainstream in private client because it tends to be one of those things I think where yeah it's growing in traction but it's still
1: it's a, a way to go it's a very fluid and moving situation I think my interest um has always been sort of there and I've always been interested in you know we we hold companies up to a certain standard um, the companies that we invest in we have an expectation of their ability to perform as a company from a financial aspect but also from you know from a responsible perspective in terms of their operations and uh, in terms of how they treat their employees all their stakeholders not just the shareholders and and it kind of makes sense from that that there's an additional measure from you know to to look at in addition to financial return there has to be another output that these companies Provide, given that we are expecting these, um, this kind of you know better behaviour more and more. And um, so it's not just about a financial return. And so it kind of makes sense that that should feed through to what we do for private clients and investment. And we should be able to communicate that more, or at least talk about that more. Um, you know, these are companies that we invest in for financial reasons, but. You know, it's also interesting, I think, for clients to understand what else these companies are doing. Mm. It's not just about their return. It's about their social and economic uh, impact on the world. And also, you know, how they govern themselves, what standards they hold themselves up to. So uh, I think, you know, from talking to many clients, they're interested in this field. Um, One of the sort of main main drawbacks, well, there's a few main drawbacks, actually, (laughs) we're looking at So I look at it from sort of bottom-up and top-down. Yeah. So from a sort of top-down perspective, um, there's a lack of proposition that's um, catering to this, um, this unmet need, really. Um, there's, there's been negative screening for decades mm. where you can just factor out certain sectors or companies um, at a, you know, the client's request. But that doesn't really provide clients with the opportunity to invest for a positive impact. Um, It's it's more about excluding sectors rather than thinking about what they could add that could really um, be positive. Colleagues that I work with still hold the view that uh, there must be some detriment to performance if you go down a route of ethical investing.
0: I think it's definitely stuck, that view. Yeah. very much so we hear it so much in in our role and we go and we travel around the uk speaking to various different wealth management firms and then we produce you know all sorts of content from it and so many people still say to us no no no, we, we don't we don't have any we don't uh, uh not, we don't kind of work against any esg criteria because that's detriment to performance and we're here to generate return for our clients. So that's what we have to think about. And I sometimes think that feels like a really old fashioned way of looking at it. Yeah.
1: And there's been a whole raft of studies in the last sort of 20, 30 years that have proven, you know, the other other side of this, that actually companies that behave better, that have above average ESG scores, um, are make much better investments. And we have, we don't need to look to studies for that, we know from our own experience um, the companies that have, you know, better behaviour or take more responsibility in their operations, in their um, care all stakeholders, do perform better over the long term. The challenge to the UK investor is that, unfortunately, the UK market is very concentrated in a few areas. So. It's always, it's easier with a global benchmark, but in the UK, um, where you've got, you know, a large proportion of the FTSE 100, I think over 13% when I looked at it last week, of the um, FTSE all share, I should say, is in World at Shell and BP. Mm. And, you know, in a similar vein, there's a high concentration of mining companies, a high concentration of um, the sort of riskier end of mining as well. And so if you, you know, if you have a year like 2016, when the mining sector, for example, was extraordinarily strong, uh, it's very, very difficult to yeah. argue that you would outperform in that environment.
0: Yeah, people almost seem to forget that it, there is positive screening as such. Yes. Um, yeah, That that is essentially
1: so. This is that's really the way ex- forward. It's really exciting, um, and this is—it's almost what clients have been waiting for. You know, over the years, talking to people. Um, they'll sort of say so what can you do you know from an ethical perspective yeah I'd like my portfolio to do some good the idea of impact investing is is very very attractive I think and um, we are in a very very fortunate position in that our parent company has a, a global equity impact fund which we're involved uh, in the management group with so we were part of that the, the wealth management te- sorry wealth investment team yeah. are part of that um, that group uh, and contribute to the research impact research of that group as well so we um, were able to offer a global equity impact fund and or in it's a, in a fund format or in a segregated format um, to our clients which is it's, it's really um, fortunate an impact fund is is designed to first and foremost to provide a financial return and um, but also to provide a measurable impact and the key word here is measurable mm. and and this is where there's you know there's a lot of other well, there are other propositions in the market that label themselves as impact but um, sort of don't measure in the same way um, So the way that we structure our fund is in line with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. We invest along the what we call the impact maturity scale. So there's a number of companies that have intentionality, but they're not quite there yet. They're not quite ready to um, uh, generate profit from their initiatives that are aligned to these goals um, or aligned to the the outcome of these goals. Um, But it's important to support these companies. Likewise, there's sort of companies that are part way there. They've they've started to invest, and they have you know some revenues being driven by these initiatives, but it's still immaterial compared to their whole revenue base. Yeah. And then you have the full on equities. So uh, sorry, full on impact, um, where a certain threshold is met uh, in terms of the impact that the company is having on specific goals. And then there's another category <laughs> that's impact leaders, which are those companies that just have such a broad reach of impact across many different pillars or many different areas um, that you can't really categorize them into one um, sort of pigeonhole. So uh, think companies like Unilever is a, okay, is a good example yeah. uh, of such a company, which is, you know, it's, its whole strategy is dedicated to sustainable, improving sustainable living for all. The estimated cost of achieving this, uh, and this is no mean feat, this is eradicating world hunger, it's you know it is eradicating the world's biggest issues and it's not going to come cheap no. so the estimated cost is between five and seven trillion dollars a wow. year a year and so wow. it yeah, is you know it's up there it's about up to about 105 billion uh, sorry 105 trillion dollars uh, by 2030 and there's no way that the world's governments can achieve this on their own no so um with a, you know, bond market over 100 billion, a stock market, global stock market, you know, well over 65 billion, um, trillion, sorry, 100 trillion, 65 trillion. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, a huge amount of firepower held within, first of all, within institutional investment, but also um, within wealth as well to yeah. some extent. So there's an opportunity here for, you know, the a broader set of investors to contribute to this Um, this effort.
0: So when do you think, um, when do you think that positive impact investing is going to become, you know, mainstream as such? When do you think, or when would you hope that we will really see a kind of industry-wide shift?
1: I think we're starting to see something. I think it's going to be driven by the amount of proposition that's made available. And to do, as I said earlier, to create proposition um, that measures impact as well as generates a financial return it takes a huge amount of resource and will only really come from those institutions or investment houses that have that capability. And um, so a number of funds are launching, uh, have launched. I think once there's a track record, once there's proof two, or three years down the line, we should start to see um, you know, even more traction than we, than we are at the moment. Yeah, so it's one to watch. Definitely, (laughs) definitely.